today is December 6th. Uh, it's 6 p.m. Central European time. My name's Stephen Lurie. I'm with B2B Rocks. Um, really excited to have my guest here today. Before we get started, um, this coming Tuesday at uh, 6 p.m., we're going to be talking with Hootsuite, one of their senior content writers about social media, how B2B companies are using social media more and more. Um, and with that, I'm going to introduce our guest because I'm really interested to talk with him. These are subjects that I'm uh, very passionate about. Seem to be having a few problems with the settings here. Thank you, Rune, for your patience. All good. I hope everything uh, works out. Everything always works out. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't it? It does. Um, hold on, let me transition over. Uh, Rune, thank, first of all, thank you so much for your time today, for being here. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Much appreciated. Great. Um, well, listen, you're probably not real familiar with us, but we've done several shows on the concept of impact. Um, one of the things we really like about the industry of technology and SaaS is its potential to be di disruptive. Um, one of the examples I see is that in the course of 20, 30 years, we've seen a population around the world, independent of race, religion, sex, that looks at problems the same way, um, that uses the same uh, kind of mindset to, to look at the world. And mm -hmm. I, I think this is really kind of a, a uniquely important moment in history, kind of similar to the Gutenberg Press for learning. I think what we've done with SaaS and technology has, has gone a lot way to empower people and to make people think, I can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I kind of want to talk with you a little bit because Rockstar, the organization you, you helped co-found, you guys are really trying to make a difference. So maybe we could start just by you introducing yourself and uh, telling us a little bit yourself and where Rockstar started from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I completely subscribe to, to that thought, right? And one of, the, one of the main drivers for me is to see how technology can really impact so many people um and democratize a lot of things that before have been centralized and maybe controlled by a few people uh technology completely opens up at the the opportunity for lot, lots of people across the across the globe um yeah so my name is Rune Feel uh one of the co-founders and the CEO of Rockstart uh, we started out uh, approximately 11 years ago um looking at how incredibly difficult it is to start up a company uh, in that very early phase where you don't have the capital yourself, you don't have the network, you don't have the know-how on how to start a business, uh, you have an idea, uh, you might know other people who want to start it with you, right? So you're a small founding team. But actually getting from that stage, like having that idea of what you want to have an impact within, like what you want to create, and then becoming successful in in building a company and scaling that organization is a completely different uh, different ball game. So, what we uh, set out to do back then was basically to create a an early stage accelerator where we focused on bringing together the smartest people in the, in the network that we could find uh, and make sure that we had like a really uh sort of complete program end to end over six months where we would take the the founders from that really early uh concept phase with a little bit of uh validation 
until like preferably you know closing the first uh, financing round with a professional investor um along the years from 2011 when we started until like 2015 we kind of also recognized that you know you're not becoming successful of course we knew that but we also saw that we couldn't help the companies uh to the extent that we wanted by just doing half a year program so we uniquely have built uh, a model where we basically co-invest together with the market on the series b so a company participating in rockstar can then afterwards bring in a lead investor and we will automatically co-invest and we can do it at up to 50 percent of the next round so uh we're not just like this this accelerator uh focused uh investor but we we have also full-on investment um basically until the company becomes sustainable which we like to think is like around series b at that stage hopefully you know you're at a scale and with momentum that allows you to ensure that you will not you will not fail as a company so that that's kind of our role in the in in the market just to keep what, it very highly on. yeah but what are the advantages of rockstar also being an investor i mean it's money is always nice but uh, maybe um could you just point those out you mean beyond just the acceleration program as, as exactly. we started with? I mean, we always yeah. looked at ourselves as an investor because we took equity from the very beginning, right? It was just mostly our investment was mostly the program itself. And now uh, the investment you get for Rockstar is, is sort of, the, it's the program as a start, right? That's 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 part of the investment we make. Um, but it's, it's certainly the more long-term line of sight in terms of financing uh, all the way up to scale um and the benefit of doing that is that we are thinking very long term with the founding team right um we are not just looking towards a, a demo day where you know uh, it's up to you to do a good pitch and then from there onwards uh hopefully you can convince some investors to take you to the next level mm-hmm. um what we do is we we start looking at how much money would it be sufficient for you to raise to get to the first point of validation right and that could be um, saying a certain monthly recurring revenue from from a SaaS perspective, and uh, then we you know we try to bring them in contact with the most relevant investor for that stage. And if you imagine um, as an early stage founding team, there's so many things you have to do. So if we give you those five qualified contacts that you can speak to, over having to talk to uh, maybe fifty before you really find the ones that have that, that fit you right already there. There's so much benefit in getting into that network and and we start uh, to, to really think along and like um okay if we get that kind of investor on board in the first round like who should you be looking towards for the next round what kind of targets should you set for yourself in order to meet those expectations um so the benefit of this model is that we 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 just thinking along from the very beginning and i think uh the 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 founders we get involved uh, also want someone from the very beginning who does that right they see the value in it so it's um it's a it's a very very nice dynamic of thinking very long term for your business. Yeah, I mean, I I look back on my career and the moments where I received mentoring, when whatever shape or form were by far the most valuable and the mm-hmm. most useful. So uh, even you're vouching for somebody when they go speak to the investors, so there's a credibility, but you're also telling them what they can expect and how to prepare that. You're prepping them, so that that must be very useful. As you said, you've been doing this since 2011, but there seems to have been a bit of a pivot to more sustainability, or was that always the case? 
uh it was always in our dna i would say as okay. as, fa- as founders um personally i grew up on a small farm in denmark a small organic farm my parents took from a conventional to organic and one of the first ones in denmark to do so so i always had that mindset of trying to build something sustainable and and caring about the the world that we live in and and preserving the um the earth and thereby through agriculture like being more regenerative and producing organically mm. um so that upbringing of course drove me very much in that direction and early on in rockstar we were able to build an energy program in 2014 so when that opportunity came along we were very clear like this is going to have a positive impact for for the world if we if we really specialize within this field and in 2016 we completely changed the purpose of the company um, so we made it to fund the transformation to a regenerative and sustainable future. And we started looking at how can you, which, which domains can you have the most impact within, right? Obviously we have a, we have a climate crisis, so we need to innovate the energy, uh, system that we built, try to decarbonize, decentralize it, um, make it more digital, make it smarter. And uh, we need to look at our food system or food food supply chain, as we used to refer to it. Um, And basically looking from everything from the the ground and to gut, um, seeing how we can innovate in the the best possible way. So that was energy, agri-food as the second domain. And then uh, the third one is what we call emerging technologies. And that's essentially with with the thinking that unless someone will invest in new innovations let's say spin-ups coming from university and actually give them an application to business uh, we won't really see these leapfrogs that we need to see where technology can play a massive role right um so uh, it's it's a bit it's a bit more overarching emerging technologies but it allows us to to really go in very early focus on technical talent focus on uh, the tech and the ip and help them find like a, a stronger business application and help them Turn that into a business and scale it. So those are the three areas. And within each, we have a we have a fund that basically, you know, make the investment from an early stage, uh, providing capital where part of it goes to the program and part of it goes directly to the team, and then we continue to co-invest up to Series B. And those funds are what you would call like nano or micro fund, depending on uh, which which jurisdictions you're in, because they're like 22 million for agri-food, 27 million for um, for energy, and then we just had first close for the emerging tech fund, and we're building that towards a 30 million fund. So they're really relatively small if you look at it from a venture fund perspective, but it allows us to do exactly what we want, which is mm-hmm. going in early, uh, offering support and offering the first small ticket, which is all the way down to 100,000 euros. Huh? So uh, that's also very unusual for a professional investor to do that. No, you, uh, you focus on energy, agriculture, and, and also, I forgot the term, technology. Um... Emerging technologies, yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what about, are, are there any other things you dabble in, or is it really those things? For example, is education also on your radar, or is that, are you really focused on those three things? Yeah, so actually, uh, underneath emerging technologies, we also decided to go with a few domains that, uh, other than focusing on some core technologies, where we yeah. where we quite open, we picked out seven that we think are going to be most most impactful in the future, um, and then we 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 focus in on a few domains. One of them being health, another one being smart cities uh, and smart citizens, 
where EdTech, for example, also come underneath. Um, so we, 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 we're not sort of like completely open. We are trying to, to narrow ourselves in uh, to focus on what we think is going to be most relevant. Yeah. What, what are some of the companies that you've been a part of, that Rockstar's been a part of, that you're just happiest to see succeeding moving forward? I don't, I, I'm a father of two children, so I'm always happy to see anything ecology, sustainability. But what are, what are some things that you, you're really excited about? Can you share anything? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, it's always good to sort of talk, talk, talk about the best uh, case that we had so far, right? Uh, with a company called Hops.com. Um, basically allowing companies, SMEs, small companies to do prototyping much quicker through a distributed manufacturing platform using uh, 3D printing and CNC cutters and, and um, yeah, basically take time to market for innovative products much quicker. And you can imagine in a world we live in where we need to innovate quite rapidly uh, yeah. to accommodate some of the challenges ahead, right? Then uh, a platform like that uh, well, just uh, especially for small businesses who don't have their own prototyping equipment, uh, be super useful, scalable. So we took that from very beginning, where it's just like uh, the two founders. Uh, we met, we were the first investor in, and uh, yeah, scaled it all the way up to exit. Right, or were, were part of that journey, where other investors took over um, and sort of invested until Series C, where then exited to a US listed company last year. Yeah, there's there there's a common reoccurring subject at our dinner table, which is we talk about this concept of time is accelerating, mm -hmm. and, and so we look at it from at our, in our family we talk about it from the industrial revolution, we went from a time of abundance, mm -hmm. where it was really supply side, we just started making a ton of everything, yeah. and there was pent up demand, and now the world is switching, yeah. uh, scarcity is coming back. And we mm -hmm. have to do more with less. And so I think it's it's really interesting to be um, doing what you're doing, doing what Rockstar is doing, and to be focused on these things. Because it's it's not just changing how we produce something. It's changing all the systems that are related to it. And there, there's there's a ton of moving pieces. The complexity is, um, if you look it's at beautiful. something like en energy or something like that, there's so much potential. But it's a lot of heavy lifting. Absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, it's it's a combination between a shifting economy, right? There's uh, obvious awareness amongst people, uh, the change they want to be part of. And then there's a pretty obvious, like, fundamental challenges that we will have if we don't change. I think people are becoming aware of those, right? Like a, a climate change or, uh, you know, droughts in the in in, uh, in dry regions, uh, yeah, deforesting. Yeah. Um, there's there's massive issues that people start recognizing. Um, so unless unless we really take rapid change, then it won't it won't have the impact that we need to have. So technology, I think, is the only way forward, right? Um, yeah. And the spaces that we're in, like to take aqua food for one, there's so much waste and side streams that you can actually uh, repurpose and reuse for 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 products. One example is a company in Denmark we invested in called Beyond Leather Material. They're taking apple palm. So when you make juices, then you have a lot of uh, a lot of waste coming from that mm -hmm. process, and you can you can repurpose that to to make leather, um, organic leather that can be used for the fashion and car industry and so on. I mean, that's just that's just beautiful that that's possible, right? Instead of having right. to to slaughter a cow <laughs> to actually get leather for your car or for your for your for your fashion bag. Um, so, yeah. I'm trying to convince my neighbors to harvest methane, but no one seems quite as excited as me. 
but we'll see Who, if we're... Uh, what are your neighbors doing? <laughs> <laughs> nothing, but I, I just so we could okay. take all our trash and, 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 and you can make methane from your trash. It's, I like it's that. Not, it's, yes, it's yeah, not really that. So there's, there's always things to do there. Ah. Um, yeah, the, the energy market, the water market, there's, there's so much waste. Um, I, I want to get your perspective on this. I come from the world of IoT a little mm -hmm. bit and we were working on iot for water markets and one of the conversation we had is like 30 percent of the water in a continent like australia or a country australia depending on you look is wasted before it's delivered to the customer mm -hmm. or to the agricultural site and so now we have all iot devices that we can connect that are low power and very inexpensive and and that'll be part of the answer of managing that west but is the solution does that create other uh, problems that are just deferred problems? Do you see, see the problem? Mm -hmm. do, do, I don't know, maybe. Well, yeah, I, I, I hear what you say, but I think one of the challenges that uh, the, um, yeah, the industrialization have brought with us is, is trying to do everything at like massive scale, right? To get economy of scale, uh, economy of scale uh, basically working. Um, which means that like production have been centralized and thereby you need big transportation systems. And uh, obviously that's, that's, that's one of the root causes for, um, for, for the climate change or the pollution uh, that, that we also see, right? So yeah. um, I think a lot of that with, with more cost-effective technology can be again decentralized. Um, and this may be an example where if you can clean, uh, you know, get clean water uh on on location you can manage that with your own management system and you kind of have that insight and transparency uh and it's much easier to 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 establish that then maybe you can have that locally locally sourced right mm -hmm. um so it's a matter of getting the cost down and of course that was one of the reasons why you centralized that it. it would be mass incredibly expensive to have a refinery or like um that could clean the clean the water right then probably you took a, a centralized approach to it instead of uh, looking at like smaller setups uh, that would be more beneficial for uh, for the local community. I think that's now one of the possibilities when it comes to energy as well, the decentralized microgrids uh, using battery storage for, uh, for, have, for, for, for taking the yield and selling it back into the grid when needed. And I think that's, there's opportunities in all of that, right? But it all requires both the, the, the hardware and uh, the smarter software. So um, I think it's a complex thing to get to get working, right? What we see is there's many companies working on one of the components, but then someone else has to develop uh, other parts to make it work. And when you look at giant markets like energy, yeah. I think it's also good to take a mixture of public and private as well, because you'll you'll everyone will have to have be part of the answer. Um, just real quickly to our audience out there, uh, what Rune was talking about with energy and distributed energy resources like batteries, when you have a high demand moment, we tend to turn on like uh, a lot of CO2 producing resources like natural gas or coal to produce energy. Um, and if you could store energy in batteries, you wouldn't need to do that as much. So when we need air conditioning, when when we have our high energy needs, that could be coming from our cars or from from other batteries out there. But the the thing is, is you need hardware and software, and and this is all happening. The question is, is how quickly can we get it to happen? So and and Rune and Rockstar and 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 organizations like this are part of the answer. So it's really exciting time. It is. Indeed. Um, yeah, I'm 
I'm excited to see all these things, what, what's coming down the pike. Uh, I think it's really interesting. Are there any markets particularly that you're following and you're really interested to see what's going to be coming out in the next few years? I mean, obviously, we are, we are very specific on these two, right? So that's where we yeah. have the, the, biggest, the biggest domain expertise. Um, we are looking at it also from how you optimize a conventional uh, system, right? Right. Um, we have to recognize that in the West, maybe we have a desire to like, and and the, the resources um, to basically completely re-ramp uh, how things are, how things are being done, uh, especially around our food systems. Um, but we still have uh, in developing countries and regions like the conventional way of doing things, and we try to see across the board like how we can uh, how we can optimize. So even like even smaller innovations that will create a more democratized system. Like we have a company in India called, called Moo Farm, um, basically allowing like smallholder farmers to easily trade their cattle, um, which makes them like more, more, more efficient as a small farmer and probably can raise prosperity over time. Um, so these are, these are also some of the realities that you, you have to look at. So when we look at it from a global perspective and from end to end, um then there's like not one thing uh that particularly sort of uh stands out it's more like the region that we're looking at actually what are the challenges that you need to to solve for example in india versus uh you know, a country in in europe where you know india a billion people you can have massive impact right if you optimize things like that i think that that that's super interesting because I, I that we were talking about this before our meeting but one of the things I like about technology is, is as things democratize, as these concepts are shared around the world, they've started in Silicon Valley and now spread out to Europe and reaching second tier cities in India and Africa, uh, people, there's no code, so technology is becoming more accessible. People feel empowered to build their own local solutions for local po problems. Um, and I think we can see tremendous gains, like you were saying there, the concepts like Move Farm. But it's it's when you can bring some capital from a third party. They've got access. They understand the problem. They've got access to some of the skills, and you can bring it all together. It's great. Yeah. What 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 about uh, one of the things that's been a reoccurring theme, unfortunately, this year is the economy and uh, how we're all facing headwinds. Um, mm -hmm. because of inflation and, and everything else that's going on. Has this yeah. affected at all Rockstart and, and how you're working with entrepreneurs? Um, what, what are the net results? Uh, I think the, 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 the first big um, impact is on the more later stage sort of growth uh, companies privately funded, right? Um, right? The ones that suddenly they were sitting with a super high burn rate and they had to refinance the company due to slower growth uh, and maybe expectations of a market going into recession. Um, there are two things that happen for them. I think uh, the first one is, of course, like the, the slowing growth have also significantly uh, made them have to adjust like the projections moving forward. Mm -hmm. And then the market sort of adjusted itself. So some companies that might have like half a 30 times money multiple. So if you can get like a valuation that's 30 times the yearly recurring revenue that you're making, then uh, that's that's then no longer the case. Maybe right. maybe that number have gone down to twenty, right? Um, so not only have your projections 
uh, your expectations to how much money you're gonna make in the upcoming years gone down, but your the money have also dictated a much lower valuation multiple. Um, so therefore, the many many companies gone out and then had to like uh, let go of you know 15, 20, 25 percent of their of their workforce, um, basically as a preemptive move for what might be coming, because not all of them are impacted yet, right? Uh, on their on their on their forecast that um, they might they might be in the upcoming years. That's what they're all planning for. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of VCs, especially later states as well, are expecting this to to go quite deep and long term. So thereby the funding have gone down. I read just the other day that specifically for SaaS companies in Europe, we're down like fifty eight percent this quarter compared to last quarter, or the right. quarter last same quarter last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's quite significant, right? And of course, there's a there's a downtick in the amount of money that's available for for startups to to raise. But uh, if you could say the good news, the money is still there because those VCs have raised the money with a ten year pro- outline, and many of those funds are newly raised, so they still have the capital to deploy in the market. They're just sitting and waiting for the right time to do it. And as a founder, you have to recognize that your valuation is going to be um, definitely definitely lower than it was to be expected like half a year ago. Well, that's that's the sort of from a startup early sort of sort of a growth startup perspective, right? But for pub- public companies is is of course very different dynamic. They have like immediate impact also on uh, on valuation and so on. Yeah, it's funny. I was just looking at Salesforce, which is a bellwether in the SaaS industry and how its stock prices variated so much uh, so much especially this year um but depending on what our perspective is, it goes way up or way down. Mm. Uh, it's quite the roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, you, is there, you were talking about investors having money aside that they haven't invested. Are, do you think investors are going to turn to more uh, younger stage companies? I mean, a lot of these funds were set up to invest in later, ta- later stage companies, more scale mm. up round. But mm. is there, are they have a choice. They can turn to quality, but then everyone's going to want invest in the top scale ups, mm-hmm. or they can try and increase the rate of innovation and have more companies come up. Is there a, a movement at all in the industry to do more startups and have more or increase the rate of innovation? Or do you see any trends this way? We do a little bit. I, I'm not sure it's entirely correlated with the with the financial downturn. I think it's more the the, the amount of capital that's been available. Uh, yeah, actually, for, for 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 more than a year, at least from a European, which I mm-hmm. which, which I'm closest to, right perspective, um, where many sort of later stage funds, especially if it's above 200 million, you're exactly right. There's not that many superstar companies to invest in. So either you get in, um, or you know you fight for for the for the valuation, which you know it's also not a rational thing to do necessarily. Yeah, um yeah. so so there we see that there are funds like trying to go in and do earlier tickets like even down to like 250,000 euros of a fund of 200 plus million um and that's not that's not a necessarily super successful strategy to be honest um and the problem there is that these funds are not really structured with a, a team that can really manage such a small uh, such a small investment in a portfolio company, they need to put all that time to work to where, you know, the bulk of the money is going. So if you imagine you have 
uh, you have 20 companies in your portfolio and the bulk of the money goes across five of them, right? That's where you should put your time as a, as an investment team. So you, you shouldn't put too much focus and you actually end up not putting too much focus on a company that you only put 250K in. Although over time, you might end up being one of the biggest contributors to, uh, to the capital you have. But um, I think it's really tough actually i think there's some funds there some later stage funds that might struggle actually to find uh to find proper deal flow and it's between the i would say even 100 million plus funds there's there's a lot of them um that all needs to start out with a with a two million ticket before it makes sense yeah i kind of wonder what's going to happen in in the industry because i i look back at some companies historically that were successful recently like twilio which went public i think in 2015 Mm-hmm. And I'm like, would investors line up uh, to take Twilio public today? I don't know because they had a lot of revenue, but they had a lot of losses as well. And and um, it's it, and it seems like gravity does matter even in technology industry. Like after a while, that's uh, going to be a really interesting time. Yeah, um, sure. I I want to ask you a quick question about um all the funds that seem to become popping up with kind of a mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, today I was on EU startups website and, um, there was a fund that had raised close to 70 million. I think it was Jensen, but it was, it was same, same thing with like a zero CO2 impact. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you started a trend, Marin. <laughs> uh, I wish it was me. Luckily, the, <laughs> luck, <laughs> luckily the, the world, the world is going this direction, which is very positive. Okay. Um, very, very I, humble. <laughs> well, for sure. I mean, we did, we did not by far. I think impact yeah. investment is is not a new thing, right? I think yeah. making positive impact and making good money for your investors is is the positioning that we are trying to take. Where impact okay. investment was always falling a little bit between. Well, are you actually planning to return my money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, is it, or, is it, or is it more like philanthropy, right? How nice! How uh, nice of a thing am I doing? Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, how nice am I to you right now? And 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 actually, several of them, of the of the more established impact fund, funds, did not have a a very aggressive return profile. They would like yeah. you say we return your money one point two times, right? Um, that's what you should expect. But if it goes really well, maybe it's two times. We have gone out and said, well, we are in a space where we are early in, so we like diversify by, you know, we do fifty companies in one fund. Because we're really yeah. early in and we believe we're gonna hit like 15 to 25 percent of those will be returning money back into you as an investor and as long as we just do a few that's actually doing quite well then um we can return your money at three point times uh three times back after 10 years which is approximately like 20 percent IRR over every year so 20 percent increase in the value creation every year um Several uh, of the traditional impact funds didn't have that. I think most funds today, you, you kind of have that. If you launch a new fund, you kind of have to com- have to have a commercial pitch, I would say, yeah. uh, because it's very competitive. I don't think you can launch a fund saying like, okay, we might return your money. I don't think that's strong enough. <laughs> uh, and thereby... The I, I've met wouldn't like that very much. No, exactly, uh... right? It's a, it's, a, it's a subsection of the ones that are willing to invest in venture funds. Um, Otherwise, they rather do philanthropy, which is simply just giving it away and never expect anything, right? But there, there, there are lots of options to invest, and I think 
being mission mission driven is is of course great um but having a strategy and being mission driven mission driven i think is the right way right that's what we're trying to achieve to just say like we invest in sustainability or we invest in like do good companies or it's not really a strategy uh i would say okay be like being a b2b SaaS investor that can be a strategy right then you become you're the number one uh, team to to advise companies on B2B SaaS. Okay, you're becoming extremely good at this and you can have a value add. But to say you a sustainability investor, I mean what does that even qualify you to to do, right? Are you sustainability within transportation, finance, uh, energy, uh, food, tech, whatever. It's just simply too broad to become a real edge, I would say. Um, so that's my challenge a little bit with the new mission-driven uh, funds. Is I don't think that's I don't think that's a strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's great to have a purpose and a mission, but it's not just strategy. I like to create words. I uh, came up with a word one time called a hopeage. So it's it's a strategy based on hope. And when when, <laughs> whenever you hear people in a meeting and they start saying things like "we hope." You, you know it's time to go work on your resume. Um, get out there. Um, well, that's really interesting. Hopiji, I'll take that one. Hopiji. Hopiji, I like it. Yeah, I like that. That sounds like a Hopiji to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really interesting. So, are you excited that there's all these funds coming up that that seem to be mimicking this kind of behavior do you think it's a good thing in general for the industry are you skeptical that they'll be successful or 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 are you just too focused on what you're doing really to pay it too much mind um yeah i don't pay too much attention i think we are in a because we're the early states guys we're normally the first investor in and there's not that many who wants to do that because it's super high risk and their model is not built for it um so i'm not i'm just happy that there's more follow-on capital actually for the companies that we invest in, uh, that will give a higher higher rate of of, uh, of success and likelihood of these companies succeeding. Because the one thing I learned about entrepreneurship is that it's really incredibly hard to put a formula to it. Right? It's not like you uh, can I'm say sorry, to, to do what to put a formula around uh, entrepreneurship. You cannot. You, you you. I mean, you cannot really codify it. It's sort of the rules around single founders will never succeed it's just rubbish right like look at elon musk <laughs> he's like the most successful guy in the world like he's doing it sounds like he's doing everything by himself huh? of course that's not true but right uh it's it's of course always better to start as a team but sometimes like the one crazy person who's willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen can also make it happen and i don't think he follow any guidebooks right this guy he he, he he's just building on intuition that's how it seems like um and then he's incredibly smart, right? So he's able to adapt to a changing environment. So if you take that perspective, then you know what we do is super high risk and super uncertain. It's really difficult to assess who's going to be winning. The only thing you want to do is to, to try to remove as many barriers as possible and then increase the chances of success. And by having more funds in the market, you actually significantly increase that, that chance of success because more of the companies will get financed and have a chance to actually build a team and try to have some impact in what they do. So for me, it's super positive. Well, I, I, I agree. Um, I just want to say that to, to put this together, this little show, I got a chance to review Rune and, and also the company Rockstart that he helped co-funded. 
um it's good reading it's good positive reading um th thank you very much oh i had a question for you about a rock start what the structure of rock start are you active which countries are you active or, or how are you organized and how do you work with founders can you work with founders remotely or do they all have to be local nearby you guys how does it work so we we work with everyone uh sort of as a remote first um and then we run events uh, throughout the programs that we, we do uh, on location and that's either in uh, in bogota where we have uh, approximately one third of our team so for the home latam market uh, and then we have offices in Amsterdam and Copenhagen, where we have the other two thirds. Um, as we are a remote first company, then we also have people living across across the globe, I would almost say at this moment, um, and thereby also investments almost everywhere, right? Um, yeah, we have uh, Latam region, we have more than 50 companies in Europe, most of them, but we also have in, in, in India and Nepal and Bangladesh, and uh, we have companies from all over singapore and yeah african countries also that's 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 really kind of cool um very very interesting are are you partner up with uh any organizations or nonprofits or do you do, do, is that under the umbrella of what rockstar does or are you guys really just focus on the business aspect uh partner up in order to do what specifically i, I don't know like uh, there's organizations like uh, no time for the planet or women in technology or uh, there's mm. so many different things one percent for the planet i was just kind of curious if there's any organization mm, yeah yeah good with. good one um i mean we, we we honestly try to affiliate ourselves and help where we can but we have not like made like strong partnerships that i would want to point out to say that we've done anything like particularly unique i think we, we we honestly quite focused on just trying to to build the best possible products um and offer these founders like the best possible support so that means that yeah we already feel often that we sort of up to here to be honest because our ambition is always to do it better yeah. so we're not always looking that much outside i have to be honest that's uh yeah, that's 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 completely normal i I just, my question is some of the founders I've met, I've met a few, I've worked pretty, been fortunate to work pretty closely with the founders. They have an irrational belief in what they believe in. Mm -hmm. um, to the point of like when their friends and family say what you're doing is crazy mm -hmm. and they still pursue it. Yeah. And they're obsessive. Is that your impression too, or is or am I too, stereotyping too much? Yeah, you are stereotyping, of course, and that's the yeah. thing about that's the thing about entrepreneurship. You cannot do that, yeah, because you can also come out of a corporate with shitloads of understanding of how a market works, and then mm -hmm. have thirty years of experience and build a very successful business because you just exactly knew where the ping was. Um, but what I do like, I do like the the young naive teams. Uh, who believe yeah. that they can change the world because they are the ones who are to do it, right? Um, that's before you can change the world, you have to believe you can change the world. That's it. That's it. It's so, it's it's everything. Everything starts up here, right? That that yeah. impacts your entire being, the way you hold yourself, the way you act, um, the energy that you you put into yourself, and like I think. Um, yeah, it's the moment you you you're able to change your mindset. Anything is more or less possible, right? And then it's a matter of teaming up with people along the way who's who's believing in you, right? And these are like the ones that does not believe in you, 
and that's why uh, your family is most of the time not the best advisors, right? It's not because they don't believe in you, but they also care for you. So they try to be cautious about you not falling, but in entrepreneurship, you fall all the time. So yeah, that's just, it's just an, an irrational uh, approach to try to keep people away from danger. Now, it's like, this is going to hurt. And yeah. the, the, only, the only real recipe for success is just to continue going through the pain huh? when it's also hurting and not to stop. I just, re I just remember the first founder I worked with, he, he ran up something like 200,000 in credit card debt. And he's just, we're like, hey, you've run up a lot of debt on your credit card starting the company. And he's like, I'll get funded. He that's, got funded. That's bullshit. And I, no. and I was just remember saying, woo. No. And if I was family, the first thing I would say would be, don't run up credit card debt. And, um, but he pulled it off. Good for him. If I can be honest, if I was his advisor, business advisor, I would also say don't about <laughs> credit card just for any audience, right? <laughs> I think. It was a different time. Uh, sure. It was at the beginning of technology a little bit. I believe that. Listen, Rune, thank you so much for your time. Um, to our audience out there, I really recommend that you go check out Rockstart's website. It's really interesting. There's a lot of interesting going on, a lot of interesting companies supporting. And if you get a moment, also take a look at Rune's profile on LinkedIn. On their website, if you're a founder, if you are got an idea um, and you're really serious about it, they've got lots of like buttons and call to actions like contact us with your idea. So they're really serious about trying to put you in a position to succeed. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot, Steve. Lots of, lots of appreciate. Yeah, have yeah. a good one. Okay. Have a good have day. A day. Take care. Wow. Uh, that was pretty fun. Um, hold on, let me transition out of the screen. So, uh, in case you don't know, it's December 6th, so you need to have your Christmas list, at least have written Christmas list on a piece of paper and get ready to uh, start working on that. Uh, if you haven't done that, try and do the most ecologically sustainable Christmas for our next show is going to be on tuesday december 13th at 6 p.m uh we're going to have um uh, konstantin radenovich who's a senior copywriter at hoodsuite and we're going to talk about anticipated social media trends for 2023 so they support or, or, or they, they issue or come up with i don't know a report uh, every year on social media trends. So we're going to read about, we're going to talk about what this means for B2B and how businesses are using this it should be kind of interesting. Um, I want to thank Rune, our guest, today's guest. He was great. Uh, it was wonderful. And we'll see you on the 13th. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.